So, yeah, Victoria and Joel, Hophni and Phineas, Eli, forgot the story. They forgot that Yahweh created the earth and all that's in it, that he created Adam and Eve to be his vice regents, his vice rulers on the earth. They forgot that they were supposed to fill the earth with worshipers of Yahweh. Right? And then the fall came. And then the people just kept getting wickeder and wickeder. And God had to pretty much destroy things with the flood. And and then he started over with Noah. Right? And then it just didn't fare all that much better. Is that a little too loud now? No? It's okay? Um, and then just out of, out of nowhere, God comes to this man, Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees. Isn't that like Iraq or Iran or something like that nowadays? And he says, you pagan, I want you, right? I'm going to start again with you. And he makes Abraham this great promise. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who honors you, who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He wanted Abraham to help fill the earth with worshipers of Yahweh. Right? And then before God came down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, he's, he's kind of talking, I guess, among himself, the Godhead. And, and uh, he says, that this is Genesis 18, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nations, nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him, right? And then he greatly increases Abraham's children while they're down in slavery in Egypt. And then finally, after 400 years, God redeems them with his mediator, Moses, right? And then they're they're at Mount Sinai, and um, God tells them, now, therefore, this is Exodus 19, another crucial passage in the beginning there, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the the people of Israel. And then 40 years later, after years of wandering, Joshua is about to take them in, and he reminds them of of the Torah, the law. Right? See? I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Israel was supposed to be a contrasting society. They were supposed to go and judge the wicked nations that were there, 
right, to clear out the land, and they were to be a light to the world, right, showing them that Yahweh alone is God. (laughs) He is king of the universe. He alone is worthy of worship. The first commandment he gave them was what? You shall have no other gods before me. That was the first thing that they were supposed to remember. But what happened? They did not pass the story on to their children. And then we get through the period of the judges that Darwin preached on so wonderfully, that incredible uh, book. And we get to where we are now in 1 Samuel. So it's been about 300 years since they went in. Um, the events of First and Second Samuel take place between 1080 B.C. and 970 B.C. That's the time frame we're in. But it was written by anonymous authors. We have no idea really who. Um, during the time of Solomon, they think. So these people that are hearing this story, they've already experienced King Saul, King David. They know that King David has a covenant with God to have a house that will rule and reign forever, right? All right. Um, Some other little tidbits that I found interesting. Um, According to 1 Chronicles 6.23, Elkanah and his son Samuel are descendants of Levi's son Kohath, the musicians. So, obviously, Samuel was not in the Aaronic priesthood line, but he was a Levite. Right? I didn't, didn't really realize that. Sure enough, there it is. First Chronicles 6 documents that. There's a reason why you read all those genealogies that Kate talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the tabernacle and the ark had been in Shiloh, where these scenes take place, for some time, Joshua 18, 1 is the first time it's mentioned. And then in uh, Judges 18, 31, it's mentioned that there are festivals that take place there. So that people have been coming there for quite some time. And, um, you know, did you notice, I especially noticed in these chapters, more so than the last lesson, but still it came up quite a bit. Shiloh, 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 how, you know... Um, Hannah got up after eating in Shiloh and this and it just kept saying Shiloh, Shiloh, Shiloh. I'm like, why does it they keep repeating Shiloh? Maybe because these people who are listening to this story know that Jerusalem is the temple place where, where God now dwells, right, in his temple. That's where his dwelling place is. Maybe he's reminding them that it was Shiloh before. I don't know. Maybe they didn't know. Um, and then when you see temple, you notice it used the word temple, Right there, what there wasn't a temple in Shiloh. Just you know, just for clarification, uh, the tabernacle had been set up there, but they had probably made it a more permanent fixture. There's kind of thoughts, evidence from I guess archaeology that maybe they had made kind of a wooden structure and maybe some stone around it, and, but it kind of had a cloth top still. So just those kind of scene-setting things I found um, I found interesting. But um, I want to take you back to Hannah's song here before we go in uh, 
to uh, the chapter here. My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Right. Um, Next verse 2. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. We're about to see in these this very next scenes here, Hannah's song kind of being played out a little bit. Um, um, the, the Lord makes the poor rich, uh, makes, makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Um, those kinds of things we're about to see played out in this in this chapter, these chapters, right? Um, so we see in her, in her song the alternation between Yahweh's sovereignty and then the reversal of human fortunes. And then we start in chapter 2, 12 here. Right, actually, 11. Um, Elkanah went home to Ramah. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. Um, when I was uh, studying here, I just I saw from these incredible commentators beautiful things in, in these passages. This is incredible literature. This is excellence. God's given us an excellent story. And he's given excellent words to to these writers did you see did you see the structure did you see all of this in uh, 211 through 31 the boy samuel a couple of verses or so and then eli's sons what they're doing and then there's an there's a break again the boy samuel he's growing now but eli's sons this is the story right the boy samuel continues to grow and then the man of God comes to Eli with judgment. Right. And then the boy Samuel. Beautiful, just beautiful structure here. This incredible thread of hope. All right, so what I'm going to do now, I'm just going to go down through the chapters and point out things that I found interesting that maybe Kay didn't bring out in the, in the lesson. Hopefully... You'll enjoy these things too. Um, in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Did anybody remember that phrase from somewhere else? Anybody? Anybody? Hannah, when she was c- crying out before the Lord and praying, and then Eli discovered, What are you, drunk? No, 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 no. Don't, don't think of your maidservant as a worthless woman. That's a definite tie. That's going to show us now the contrast between Hannah's son, not the son of a worthless woman, versus the house of Eli, full of worthless sons, right? Just beautiful. And look at this, the 13, the custom of the priests. That tells us that these guys had been doing this and maybe others before them too. So for who knows how long the priests 
had been stealing the sacrifices that the people had brought to God. They were supposed to get the breast and the right thigh, right? Right leg, maybe. Um, But the, the fat was supposed to be burned first to the Lord. And then they could all feast together, right? But they were stealing things. And this had apparently been their custom. It had been going on. Wow. <laughs> um, and then in this next little Samuel passage, uh, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, right? And his mother used to make for him a little robe. Um, this is an ephod like the ephod that David wore in Second Samuel six fourteen. When the ark is brought to Jerusalem and he's dancing before the Lord, just a simple linen cloth. I think we're supposed to be, we're supposed to think of that. We're supposed to connect that, right? So his mother is sort of dressing him as a little priest. This is a sign for us that this man is going to be God's mediator for us, right? And then um, I love here too that Eli would bless Elkanah. And the Lord answered his, his prayers for them, right? Eli is growing old and feeble and is weak. his faith is frail, but the Lord is still using him. He is still using him in, in his service, right? Um, verse 22, now Eli was very old. So we know from all of this here, Samuel growing, Samuel growing. Now Eli is very old. Time is passing. It's taking a while. It's taking a while. But God, from an infant, is preparing this one, this new one, who will come and be the replacement for Eli's house. Right? Um, All right, let's see. Then, oh, um, you probably talked about this verse, verse, t- verse 25, uh, Eli's, in Eli's rebuke. Because that was, I, I was also, when I was first reading and reading and marking and thinking about the passage, I thought, hmm, what, what does that exactly mean? That um, um, if someone sins against a man, God will mediate, him, mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord... Who can intercede for him? Um, this guy here, uh, Phillips, this is, um, this is what he says. His point was that sins against other people can be forgiven through the atoning blood of the Lord's sacrifices. But what can be done for sins that show contempt for the sacrifices themselves? Their sins against God's way of salvation much like those of people who despise the gospel today, left Eli's sons with no means of forgiveness. So great were their sins against God's means of grace that the Lord gave them over to the lethal condition of hardened hearts. Eli's sons didn't listen to his rebuke. They did not honor their parent because the Lord had determined to put them to death. Did y'all spend some good time talking about that? I hope. That's hard. That's hard. They were so obstinate in their rebellion that God said, okay, you can stay that way. Wow. I've got, I've got a, a niece 
that is in rebellion and ran away from home. And she grew up in a home just like I did, not a perfect home, but a home where she was taken to church every Sunday. And Sunday school and her parents taught her in the home. And she screamed and threw a fit and bit my nephew. And my dad said, and my dad, my brother said, get out. How, how long does she have? I don't know. She's only 17, about to turn 18. But she stubbornly refused to listen to her parents' rebuke. Wow, that scares me for her, you know? And I know y'all have friends and relatives, and some of you may be children. Same thing. Wow, it's a good thing that God is good. And he's just, and he always does what is right. But look at the Lord. He is merciful. And he sent a prophet who's, who were rare in those days. He sent a prophet to Eli to say, look, I'm going to tell you one more time. You know, here's, here's what's going to happen. Right? And here's another opportunity for Eli. And I guess he didn't really do, do much. Um. Honor here, this is, this is something I think the um, commentators brought out. It, I, can't, I can't remember if it's the Hebrew word means weight, but there's some connection with weight. Honor is to give ultimate weight to, a lot of worth, right? And then there's a play on words with the weight of Eli's sons fattening themselves on the people's sacrifice. And Eli apparently participating, because we'll see next week in Rebecca's uh, lecture there in, in your next lesson that he died basically of his own weight. And that there's, there's a, all kinds of play on words there that, you know, Eli and his sons were not giving God the weight due him, the honor due him. And God will only have that apparently for so long, right? Um, how many of you have seen Chariots of Fire? Most everybody. That's good. If you haven't seen it, you need to rent it. Um, the first time I remember hearing this phrase was in that movie, and it's just so, so touching. Um, you know, Eric Little had grown up as a missionary, a missionary kid in, in China and came back at some point to, to England to go to school and and all of that, and so this was in the time when England was trying, Britain was trying to get their Olympic team going, and, and all of that, and it turns out that Eric was just incredibly fast, he was an incredibly good athlete, and so he ended up on the Olympic team, but then when his race came up for trials, his heat was for the 100, uh, 100 yard, 100 meter dash was supposed to be on Sunday, his qualifying heat, and he refused to do it because he believed in taking the Sabbath rest, worshiping with the people of God on Sunday morning. And he even was called into the, um, um, the crown prince. Okay, what's his name? Uh, England, Prince of Wales. Talking, it, talking to the Prince of Wales and, come on, Eric, you're our best chance for a gold medal here. You've got to do this. And he's like, no, I really can't. It doesn't matter if it's for my country or, or what, but I... You know, I have to honor God above my country. And in, in the movie, so he decides to run then in the 400, which is four times as long as anything that he's trained for, you know. But then in the movie, 
it's an American athlete that comes up to him before his race. Sorry if I cry. I'm like cry Hallmark movie, Hallmark commercials, you know. Um, gives him this sheet of paper and he opens it and he reads it and he says, those who honor me, I will honor. And of course, he won the race, right? And then he went, he went back to China eventually and he died in a Chinese prison camp during World War II. And the story goes that when he died, all of England mourned. So a man who chose to honor God above everything. God honored him with the love of all of his countrymen. And you know God honored him after he passed on and will probably get to meet him. You know? Oh, that's a, an incredible connection there, incredible story. All right, so uh, in the, um, in the uh, prophet's rebuke, no way. Guys, this goes by really fast. Uh, so I'm going to skip this part because this gets, um, the prophecy gets fulfilled. We'll see in 1 Samuel 22 where all Eli's house is killed except Abiathar. And then in 1 Kings 2, Solomon uh, expels Abiathar and the house of Eli is done and a new faithful priest, Zadok, comes, uh, who himself is a precursor of our precious Lord Jesus, the true faithful priest. Now, look at the structure of the next section here. Um, Darwin has introduced this concept to me, the chiastic structure. This is Hebrew literature. Um, What's important to note is the thing that's in the center is what it's about, right? A divine oracle to Samuel. So what is that? God again speaks through the young man, I guess now, Samuel, and says the same thing that the prophet said, confirming the judgment against the judge. The man who's supposed to be the judge of Israel himself is judged and his house is punished. This is the authentication of Samuel as God's prophet confirmation that God is speaking through the boy Samuel. Um, one, one last thing about that. Um, the Samuel, Samuel. Does anybody, did that occur to anybody that that's come up before? Samuel, Samuel. Not, not using the name Samuel, but other names. Anybody? Moses, Moses. Abraham, Abraham. All right? Right? When uh, Abraham was about to stick the knife into Isaac. Abraham, Abraham. And then Jacob, Jacob. Right? Uh, this is um, Jacob when it's been discovered that Joseph is alive and down in Egypt. God comes to Jacob and says, Jacob, Jacob, take your family down to Egypt. Right? So these are significant events when God repeats the name like that. Significant Moses, Moses is at the burning bush, right? Significant events is the, the, the repetition of the name. All right, so the word of the Lord is returning to Israel, his tremendous blessing when his people get to hear his word. So Israel had failed to be the contrasting society, and that's where we are with them. But God is returning He's returning with his word, and that's how the story develops. But um, let's talk about us a second here. 
um, from this book, A Light to the Nations, Michael Goheen. He says, The mosaic social life of justice and mercy is designed to arouse the admiration and envy of the nations who will exclaim, What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today? Injustice and disobedience to the Torah amount to an abandonment of Israel's missional identity. God had made it clear to Abraham centuries earlier that the promise to him would be fulfilled only as he walked in the way of the Lord in righteousness and justice. Now the people of Israel, too, are charged to fulfill their calling by living lives conformed to God's creational will for human life, pointing toward God's final purpose to restore his creation and direct it against the idolatry of pagan nations. Like Abraham, Israel is to be a holy people whose lives of justice, righteousness, mercy, and shalom would demonstrate that the Creator God lived among them. They were supposed to be a contrasting society, a light to the nations. It didn't happen. Centuries later, Jesus would come, the true King, the true Israel, the true Adam, and He would obey He would reconstitute Israel by calling 12 Israelites to himself to teach them the way it was supposed to be, right? And then after he died and rose again and went to his father, he commissioned them. Now, you 12, the new Israel. Of course, there were 11. I know they replaced them. Judas, you, you are going to fulfill the command that Israel failed to commit to fulfill in the Old Testament. How? I'm going to give you my spirit. And he's going to embolden you and empower you. And what happened, ladies? They did it. They did it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, they fulfilled the commission. We are the nations. And now we are part of that contrasting society. Right? What is that supposed to look like? I'm getting this again out of, out of Goheen here. What does a contrasting society look like in the 21st century? A community of justice in a world of economic and ecological injustice. All right, I'm not going to explain these except a couple of them. A community of generosity and simplicity of enough in a consumer world. A community of selfless giving in a world of selfishness and entitlement. I thought back to our Philippians study this summer, Philippians 2. Jesus so unselflessly, or so selflessly, unselfishly, abandoned the throne of heaven and came down for our benefit, for the, for the eternal benefit of others. Right? So selfless. And Paul is calling the Philippians to remember that. Remember who you are. You belong to him. That's the kind of people you are to be, just like your Lord Jesus. Next, a community of humble and bold witness to the truth in a world of uncertainty. I'm going to read you some from this one. The confident and certain world of the Enlightenment has crumbled. Uncertainty, relativism, pluralism, and suspicion 
characterize the current cultural mood. In this setting, how can the Christian community be light? The starting point must be a bold witness to the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. There must be a deep confidence that this is the true story of the world for all and that this story is a liberating one. In an ethos of suspicion in which all claims to truth are inherently oppressive and self-serving, that's postmodern philosophy, it is important that the church be deeply humble in its grasp of the truth. There is no room for uncertainty about the truth as it is in Jesus. There is plenty of room for humility about our grasp of the truth. A firm hold on both humility and boldness will be essential in our world. Further, we must not return to a Greek notion of truth as unchanging ideas, and the gospel is one of those theological positions that stand above history. Rather, the gospel is an announcement of what God has done in a person and events in history that give shape to an understanding of cosmic history. That kind of narrative approach offers an effective way to dialogue with other faith commitments without compromising the universal validity of the gospel. All right? Bold, bold community. Right? Community of hope in a world of disillusionment and consumer satiation. Postmoderns are suspicious of any story that claims to know where universal history is going. So where's the hope? Where's the hope? If there's no story that fits, right? We have it. A community of joy and thanksgiving in a hedonistic world that frantically pursues pleasure. Goheen says, finding true joy and fulfillment in this frenetic quest is as elusive as grasping and holding on to smoke. True joy comes in living the way our Creator has made us. Again, I thought of Philippians. All full of joy. How? By keeping our eyes on the king and on the hope of restoration, right? A community that experiences God's presence in a secular world. The universe isn't closed with no you know, effect from outside it. The universe is open. Paul says, in God we live and move and have our being. Right? Goheen again says, a church that can be trained to see God's work in creation, his providential care of creation and rule of history, and his renewing work in the spirit will offer the kind of sacred world longed for by a postmodern spirituality that has grown disenchanted with the scientific disenchantment of the secular world and has yet no way to fulfill that longing. Where are the people? whose eyes God has opened to see the peerless worth of our King Jesus. He's opened our ears to hear his word. He's given us his spirit to empower and embolden us to obey him and to proclaim the news of his kingdom to the nations. Let's talk of this grand story incessantly Let's pray fervently for the power of the Spirit of King Jesus to enable us to give God the weight, the honor due Him as we live out our lives in an idolatrous culture that is really longing 
for the hope of forgiveness and restoration that we alone hold out to them. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for opening our eyes to see your beauty, for opening our ears to hear you, because, Lord, I know I would be just like Hophni and Phinehas. I would have continued in my stubborn rebellion. Thank you for saving me, for saving us. Lord, thank you for this story that reminds us that we were saved to be a blessing to others. We were saved so that we can live empowered by your spirit the way you intended for humanity to live on this earth, giving you the honor due your name. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful prayers. I know that's where I am weak. Help us to pray. Help us to encourage one another to tell the stories in our fa- the story in our families all the time. Help us to remind each other who we are and where we and this world are headed. Lord, um, keep us safe as we finish out the week. And would you bring us together again on Sunday morning to worship you through Christ our Lord, our precious mediator, I pray. Amen.